0: A big welcome to our frontline family, to our guests, as well as those joining us online. What a day it is to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. This morning I want to share a message with you that I've titled No More Debt, No More Doubt. And this message speaks firstly to the awakening reality that a person has when they comprehend that their debts have been fully paid for, and secondly, the honesty astonishment, the diligence and belief of that person to rise up from their Friday thinking, so to speak, and then to put all of their faith in Jesus Christ. No more debt, no more doubt. And we're going to look to a special person today with a special kind of character in John chapter 20. I just read the first part of John chapter 20 to you already, where Jesus Is no longer in the tomb, and he reveals himself to Mary. And when she realizes it's actually him, she grabs a hold of him. And I know this because he says to her in verse 17, Do not cling to me. Do not be afraid. For I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Naturally, she runs off to tell the disciples, and that same night, when the disciples were gathered with the doors shut for the fear of the Jews killing them as well, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. The peacemaker said, peace be with you. When he said these words, it says in verse 20, that he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That word glad means to be delighted or overjoyed. They were delighted or overjoyed to see the Lord. But I want you to skip down with me to verse 24 to see the response from the disciple named Thomas. Now, Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, "Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe." You see, Thomas wasn't wasn't there the first Sunday evening when Jesus appeared to his men. He missed the whole event. So for Thomas, the cross was the end of the road. There was nothing after that. There was nothing more to do. There was nothing more to hope for. And you know, we usually associate Thomas with doubt, right? We call somebody who is a skeptic, skeptic. what do we call them? A doubting Thomas. As if poor Thomas is the patron saint of all skeptics or, <laughs> or disbelievers. But something happens to him on this day that will change his life and will change it forever. When you read the Bible, though, you'll discover that when you come across stories about Thomas, whenever he says something, it usually sounds a bit negative or at least a bit on the dark side. To give an example, if you went back a couple of years when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, listen to the typical behavior and response of Thomas. In John chapter 11, Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem the other disciples say to him, Lord, that's not a good idea because they want to kill you there. But Jesus says, we are going nonetheless. And here's Thomas's contribution. It says in verse 16, then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I mean, what's up with that, right? That's not very positive. Let's all go die and we will die with him. And yes, look, church, I'll be honest with you, it's not the most positive comment you'll ever hear, but I'll tell you something, that's loyal, that's courageous, and that's honest. Here's another time. At the Last Supper in John chapter 14, Jesus has been talking about heaven and going to prepare a place for those that will meet him there one day. And he says in verse 4, you know the way to the place where I am going. Everybody around the table is probably thinking, Lord, we love what you're saying. You know, we can't wait to experience these things. But the truth is, we don't know the way to where you're going. Thomas, however, speaks up and he says, Excuse me, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And again, to to us, that may seem a bit rude. But what you have here is a guy who will speak up when he doesn't get it, when he doesn't understand you know, he was honest. It reminds me of a story I heard about a, a Sunday school teacher who was teaching a class about the Good Samaritan. You know the story. And so the teacher asked the class, what would you do if you saw a man bleeding and, and hurt and, and lying by the side of the road and he was dying? What, what would you do for him? The one girl said, I would give him some water and, and some food. The one little boy said, man, I would bandage up his wounds and I would call my mom for help. I'd pick up myself cell phone and call for help. But one little thoughtful boy rose his hand up and said, teacher, if I saw that blood, I think I would throw up. <laughs> right? Not exactly what the teacher was hoping to, to hear, but he was honest. Thomas could have been that student. He was honest. He wasn't faking it. Cynical, yes. Doubtful, perhaps, but honest. And you see, church, at this point in the game, the disciples, especially Thomas, needed a rational, reasonable explanation for them to believe. Why? Because they've been with Jesus. They've put all of their faith in Him. They've heard all of His teachings and seen all of His amazing miracles, but He's gone to the cross and He's dead. It's over, it's, it's finished. Thomas hadn't, hadn't seen the resurrected Lord, so for him it's done and dusted. Whatever we saw over the past couple of years was really mind-blowing, but, but it's over now. At this point, there's nothing substantial to substantiate believing in Jesus anymore or even the claims that he made. Until the resurrection on Sunday, Until Thomas eventually sees the Lord, that restores the reason for him to believe. And you see, church, he needed to get to the place where he saw the one that paid his debt and would cancel all his doubts. No more doubts. No more debt, no more doubts. And why is this important? Because it's not like our faith is based on what we see, right? I mean, we weren't there to see the Lord resurrected. Church is important because Christianity has always appealed to historical fact and rational belief. It's not just some leap of faith into the dark or into the unknown. You know, atheists or or skeptics would have us believe that we're putting our faith into a myth or some teacher that lived many centuries ago, so our faith is irrational. And can I say that too many Christians have this viewpoint that I believe just because I believe, just because. But God never is never asking anyone to take a leap of faith into the darkness. God gives us clear evidence in the Word of God, and even historians throughout the centuries that weren't Christians themselves have agreed that the resurrection is rational, it is provable and, and plausible. And just like Thomas, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever this morning, the first step to putting all of our faith in Jesus Christ is for you and me to rise up and be honest. If you have doubts, that's okay. Voice them. Be honest about them. But then also be honest about your life. Let me ask you a question. Do you sense that in your life that all of the status, all of the education, all of the materialism, and all the chasing of all these things just isn't enough to satisfy you? Then be honest about that. Be honest about your past. Can I add this one? Be honest that you're not perfect. If you are a non-believer or a skeptic here this morning wouldn't you love to know that you've been forgiven of anything and everything that you've done in your past? Be honest about that. Be honest about your desires, about what you want to be in life and the legacy that you want to leave for the generations to come. Because don't you feel like, ever feel like there could be more? Don't you have this hope that there is something more than what you've already experienced in life? Be honest about that hope. And you know what? Be honest about your sin. Call it what it is. It's called confession in the Bible, by the way, and bring it to the Lord. Rise up from that Friday thinking and be honest. Thomas was. That's the first thing. Number two, rise up and be astonished. You know, Thomas said he won't believe unless he sees Jesus himself, and he touches his hands, and he sighed. But look at the next couple of verses from verse 26. It says, And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Again, he says, Peace be with you. Then immediately he addresses Thomas, and he says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. So you have Thomas here for the last eight days. He's mouthing off, I'm not going to believe until I see. And Jesus says, peace to you. Touch my hands and my side. And then all of a sudden, it's my Lord and my God. And did you notice the phrase, after eight days? You mean to say that the disciples had to put up with Thomas for eight days? (laughs) They had to listen to him say, for eight days I will not believe. And why? You know, if Jesus showed up then, why is he not showing up now? The first day came, the, the third day, the fourth day, the seventh day, and he's still doubting, right? I will not believe until I can touch and see. And I'm sure a couple of those other disciples started feeling maybe a little bit like Thomas on the doubting side. But after eight days, guess who shows up for dinner? Jesus pops in the room. Thomas sees him and it changed everything for him for the rest of his life. What the resurrection did for Thomas is rekindle hope. It brought back his, his wow, his, his wonder and amazement. Thomas rose up from his Friday thinking and was astonished. And church, that's what the resurrection should do for us all. But church, did you know that there are many different Christian denominations that don't believe in the resurrection? They don't believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead, therefore they deny the resurrection. There's a number of different fallacies and and false teachings that they hold to They will say, number one, that Jesus is risen in spirit. That's all. What does that mean anyway? Is that like when your grandfather has died and he's up in heaven looking down and we say he's with us in spirit? Is that all? Is that what Jesus is, just risen in spirit? If that's the case, you know what, we might as well all pack up here today and we can go play a game of golf or, mind you, the weather's not so good or whatever you can do outside this morning why are we here if Jesus is just risen in spirit? Others will say he has risen in our hearts. That's what the resurrection, resurrection is. Jesus is alive in our hearts. We have the Christ consciousness. We have the Christ concept. You know, we have the Christ spirit. We don't need the physical resurrection. Can I say that's absolute nonsense? Another explanation by some so called Christians. And this came from an article in Time magazine, which is not the most reliable source of information. But they wrote and they said that Jesus is risen in the sense that his teachings live on. He didn't really rise physically, bodily, literally, but his teachings live on like Buddha or Gandhi or Allah. And because, listen to this, because we have his words and we keep saying his words, he keeps getting back up. What a joke. Jesus is not some philosophy or some concept that man fabricates in his own mind. He's a person who's alive today and forevermore. And without that, we've got nothing. And you have to understand something. This day is so special to us because this teaching of the resurrection is the pivotal point of Christianity. It is the heart of everything that we are about and what we believe in. No resurrection equals no hope equals no eternal life. Which means you stay dead when you die. And look, we might agree to disagree on a number of things. Like when it comes to the rapture or the the second coming of Jesus or the teachings on the last days. But we never, ever, ever disagree about the resurrection. If Jesus did not bodily, physically rise from the dead, then Jesus Christ is a liar. Because he said he would die and rise again. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He said that, and if he didn't do it, he is a liar. And on top of that, church, if he didn't bodily and physically rise from the dead... There is no forgiveness of our sins, there is no salvation, and there is no hope. We might as well stop right now. And so Thomas was right in being utterly hopeless until he rose up from his Friday thinking and was honest and was astonished at seeing the risen Lord. Here's the third thing. Rise up and be diligent. What do I mean by that? When Jesus said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and take your hand here and put it into my side, instead of Jesus saying, you fool, you didn't believe, he says to Thomas, peace be with you. Come and see for yourself. And I love that about Jesus. He condescended so graciously to Thomas's doubt, and he invites Thomas Mr. Empirical, Mr. I won't believe unless it's science, come, touch, see, and feel. And you know what? I really challenge you to do the same. If you want evidence of the Christian experience and what that experience means for your life as a kingdom ambassador, there's plenty of evidence. But be honest and be diligent and be ready to be amazed. Because you'll discover that Christianity, that Jesus Christ, among many other things, has three main credentials or qualifications. And as you examine them, you will be amazed. Let me share this with you very quickly. Number one, Jesus' impact on human history is unlike anybody else. The impact that Christ has made upon human history is unique. It is Singular and unparalleled. Number two, the claims that Jesus made about himself, all of them came true. Right? Not 50%, not 80%, not even 99.9% of them. All of them came true. All the prophecies about Jesus came true. And number three, there was a physical bodily, bodily resurrection as we've been speaking about. Nobody else ever claimed that. No other religious leader ever predicted a bodily resurrection for themselves. Only Jesus claimed there would be an empty tomb, and there was. And his followers, church, his followers went to the death believing that. Not one of them broke. Not one of them fell away from their faith. So either the tomb was empty or the tomb was not empty. And that's what we have to examine. And if you are here today and you still have one foot in Buddhism or one foot in Hinduism or in the the Muslim faith, uh, faith and one foot in Christianity, I'm encouraging you to make whatever belief system that you are going to get into, not based on your personal bias or your family preference or family pressure or even your philosophical outlook on life, but to actually look at the facts. You see, Thomas was confronted with that and he rose up and was honest. He rose up and was astonished. He rose up and, by the invitation of Jesus, was diligent to examine the evidence. You see, he changed his Friday thinking to receive what the resurrection Sunday was all about. And, church, let me tell you something this morning. It's only when we change our Friday thinking to Sunday thinking that we receive the freedom and the power of the gospel. Fourth and finally, rise up and believe. Rise up and believe. Look at verse 27 again. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Isn't it amazing how just a few verses ago, or for Thomas eight days ago, he's saying, I won't believe. Unequivocally, I will not believe. And here he's doing what? He's believing. And you see, church, Thomas had to go through this process of being honest, being astonished, and seeking out the factual evidence before he came to really believe. And Thomas rises from the lowest depths of despair and disbelief to the highest pinnacle of faith. He says, my Lord, that's the typical way to address Jesus, and my God, that's his deity. My Lord and my God. And church, what joy must have flooded Thomas's soul when he came to that place. And can I say there must be a testimony of many of us here this morning that we've come to that place, right? We've had to go through this process ourselves where we say, my Lord and my God, what a place to get to. What a privilege to get to that place. And church, my call to you today I want to. I want to speak firstly to believers. My call to you as a believer is to make sure that you are living a life where you are constantly allowing the Lord to transform your thinking. Do you remember the scripture that I mentioned to you a few weeks back? Romans chapter twelve verse two says, "Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person." By changing the way you think. Because you see, church, if we're not careful, we'll stop at the cross and have Friday thinking. Yes, you're saved. Yes, your sins have been forgiven. Yes, you have been reconciled to the Father. But you'll have all the gifts and promises of God over your life buried in your Friday thinking. And I want to say to you this morning, Jesus died and rose again for so much more than that. And it's only when you transform your thinking to Sunday thinking that you step into kingdom living. There are way too many Christians who have not progressed from what Jesus has done for them to what Jesus can do through them. Can I say that again? There are too many Christians who have not progressed from what Jesus has done for them to what Jesus can do through them. And if that means, church, that you have to be somewhat like Thomas and be honest about where you are in your Christian journey, then do that. If that means that you have to be more diligent in your pursuit of the Lord and what He wants from your life, then bring the necessary discipline into your life and make that happen. If that means that you have to look again at the magnificence and the majesty of and the beauty of the risen Lord Jesus to bring back your amazement and astonishment, then get alone with Jesus. Get alone with the Word of God. Worship Him in spirit and in truth, and He will fill your wonder to overflowing. Rise up from your Friday thinking and allow the gifts that are within you to be restored and resurrected. Maybe those gifts have been lying dormant for many years. But as you change your thinking, those gifts will be resurrected and appropriately used for the king and his kingdom. Can I get a yes and an amen to that? My second call today is to those here this morning or listening online that may say, I'm a doubter like Thomas was. You've heard about this Jesus. You've heard that he went to the cross and and he was risen on the third day. But for some reason, you've never got to that place where you've called him Lord and God. You know about him, but you don't, you don't know him. And I'm here to tell you on this Resurrection Sunday that God is calling you from the depths of your doubt and unbelief to the pinnacle of faith in him. And you may say, but pastor, you, you don't know what I've done in my life. I'm the sinner of, of all sinners. I've messed my life up beyond repair. I've messed my family's life up. But God is saying to you this morning, no more debt, no more doubts." When you come to me, all your debts will be forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And all your doubts will be proven wrong because the grave is empty He's calling you. He's calling you into his kingdom today. And he wants to adopt you as his son or as his daughter. Father, we come to you on this beautiful Resurrection Sunday. And the most beautiful thing about this day is the hope that continues to live in our daily lives because of the promise that Jesus made that he would die and rise again. And the evidence that shows he did indeed conquer death. Giving us hope even in the face of our own mortality. Lord, I pray for the hearts who have heard this message today. And as a seed has been sown into soil, may it bear fruit in our hearts. May the good sunshine of your spirit warm that soil. Breaking up the ground, watering it, and letting it blossom in our lives here this morning. May we rise up this morning, Lord. May we rise up and be honest. May we rise up and be astonished to be diligent and to believe you are the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And for those that are committing their life to Jesus this morning, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Whether you're here today or you are listening online, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Father God I come to you today in the name of Jesus and I acknowledge to you that I am a sinner I know that you love me and I know that you want to save me Father I believe that your only begotten son Jesus Christ shed his precious blood on the cross of Calvary and died for my sins And now I am willing to turn from my sin. I confess Jesus as my Lord. And with my whole heart. Father, I believe that you raised him from the dead. I accept Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior. And according to his word. And according to his sacrifice. And according to this evidence. Right now I am saved. I take myself of the throne of my life and I enthrone the Lord Jesus. From today I declare that my life belongs to you. I am now your child and I am privileged to call you Father. I open up my heart to receive your love and all that you have for me. I receive the Holy Spirit of God to lead me, to guide me, and to teach me all the days of my life. I receive salvation as a free gift. And I am prepared to serve you and only you for the rest of my life. I pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Can we give the Lord a great shout of praise in this place this morning?